0: So we are in week four of our sub-series, Real Faith for Real Life. After introducing his readers, this is James, to the topics of joy, wisdom, steadfastness, and our eternal reward, James turns to warning them about what stands in their way, trials and temptations. So today we shall be considering temptation in the midst of trials. My main point is, although God wants our trials to bring us to maturity, and we considered that in week one, consider joy, brothers, when you go through trials. A commentator, Moffat, says you don't only consider joy, but you you greet it, your hardships, your difficulties with joy. I was able to do that as I was pondering upon this last year, knowing we're going to do this, and I was reading some of the notes, and I thought, Lord, health-wise, I don't know where I'm at, but I'm going to ready. Greet my challenges, my daily challenges, just my health issues with joy. Glory to God. The rescue has come through the work of the Holy Spirit. So, as I said, my main point is although God wants us, our trials to bring us to maturity, our sinful desires can turn a trial into temptation. Temptation leads to sin, and sin leads to death. So, we shall be considering from Our talk today, point one, that God, who is good, cannot tempt us to evil. Secondly, we must be alert to the power of disordered desires, which is set out to tempt and sabotage us. Thirdly, the life cycle of sin or temptation, which is sin that leads to death. Let's read James chapter one, verse 13 to 15. If you do not have a golden booklet Raise your hand, someone will bring a little golden booklet to you. Uh, it's where we take our notes in. Um, all right, Melanie's gonna be bringing a little book to you. And you can take some notes, and on it, you can reflect during the week. And when you get to life group, um, you can also reflect on it, uh, yeah. We do welcome a donation of 10 rand, 10 rand, uh, to the production or public, publishing of this book. And every sub-series will have another little booklet, so just look out for it as you enter the venue. Um, we have two more. Okay, just keep your hands up; they will bring it to you right now. So, in the page, you'll see in the note there it says James chapter one, verse thirteen to fifteen. Thank you, so kindly, Melanie. So James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived, give birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Point one. God who is good cannot tempt us to evil. It says so in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted or she that I'm tempted of God. The word temptation in verse 13 means a solicitation to evil. That's something that the devil does. God does not do it. That's so anti-God. A quote by Steve Lawson. He writes, it is not uncommon for those who face pain and hardships in this life to doubt the goodness of God. But the clear message of Scripture is that God is uniquely good and that He is the measure for everything we call good, considered together with His wisdom and power. Christians can be assured that God not only desires to reveal His goodness, but is able to accomplish His good plan in the best way possible way. How can the cross of Jesus be good? It was grotesque. If you watch even the movie of, uh, you know, the Passion of the Christ, Isaiah speaks of it. He was marred beyond recognition. But the good of that is that we've been brought into relationship with God. The good of it is we have eternal life. The good of it is we have life everlasting. Michael Eaton says, it is... God's goodness to us that ought to encourage us to move on to full maturity, even in the midst of trials and testing. It is because we have experienced God's goodness that rebellion, hardness of heart, and spiritual deafness are so serious. Let those who have ears today hear what the spirit of truth have to say. So we would say, even in a song, God is good all the time, and all the time? God is good all the time, and all the time God is? When we repeat that, it's a truth of Scripture. The key is to trust God's goodness. Every trial that we face will either be a trial that will cause us to grow into Christ-likeness or a temptation to ruin our character. So I've used two terms here. It's like homophones. We see the word peresmos is used for both trial and temptation. The one is from without and the other is from within. The one is beyond our control. The other can be controlled as we yield to the spirit working within us, but both will come at us. Got no control over trials, hardships, difficulties, setbacks. It will come at us. You're guaranteed in this life. If you haven't faced that, raise your hand. Because I want to join your team because I've experienced setbacks and hardships and difficulties, physical, I mean seriously. Five ops later, I mean seriously. Lord, what are you doing? And then on a day, I stood in a hospital ward and I could minister to each gentleman there. I went to visit Pete Boys, who was in the first meeting, and I could visit him. Then I saw the goodness of God in that moment. But while you're going through it, it's like, oh no, this doesn't work. It's too difficult, Lord. Aren't you going to heal me now? This is no Colin. You're a work in progress, so just chill. Douglas Moose says, what can change a trial into temptation is the attitude with which we meet it. All we need to do is turn to blaming God. And the classic story in the Garden of Eden, the woman you gave me, said Adam. Adam says, it's the serpent. And the serpent is like, okay, now where do I go from here? Hey but it was all down to God, if you did not put that tree there, God, if you did not bring that situation in in front of me, if you didn't let that, come on. God who is good will not do anything. He will not tempt us, says the scriptures, beyond what we can handle. No temptation will befall us that he do not provide a way of escape. In other words, translated, there are more doors in the room of temptation than you and I realize, and windows. If the doors are shut, get through the window. Billy Graham experienced this on his preaching trips when he was by himself. What he would do is get inside his room, lock the door, and toss the key outside through the window into the snow. And in the morning he'd phone the concierge and say, can you please come and unlock for me? So that he would not find himself wandering out because there are other luring opportunities outside or temptations. Let's be hard on ourselves for the sake of the cross. Let's be a little bit more here hard on us. So God sent his son, Jesus, to die for us so that we could be reconciled to him. And James is clear that temptations are not from God. While God is sovereign over us and everything we face, the intent of temptation is to draw us away from God. And then we realize that God has sent his son to draw us to himself, not away from himself. He is not here to lure us and tempt us so that, We don't have a relation with him. He's here to draw us to himself. That's why he paid the price on the cross. Why would he undo that? God is good. God is wise. God is holy. God is righteous. And in all of this, we found our hope. I have a little clip by Job. So you watch it and be encouraged and enriched.
1: Job is a righteous man. He does what's right, and God has blessed him. He has 10 kids, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 pair of oxen, donkeys, servants, you name it, he's got it. He loves God and follows God's rules. Then suddenly we find ourselves at a meeting called by God. In heaven? It doesn't say. Maybe. But guess who shows up at the meeting? abraham lincoln nope satan and god says look at job he respects me and does what's right and satan says he only respects you because you've blessed him take away his stuff and he'll curse you to your face scene change back to job a bunch of bandits come and take all the oxen and donkeys then fire comes from the sky and burns up all the sheep Then more bandits come and take the camels. Then a windstorm knocks down the house where his kids were and they all die. Oh no! What did he do? Well, he was really sad. He ripped his robes and sat down in the dirt. But then he said, the Lord gave me all that stuff and he can take it away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. That's quite an impressive response. Yes, it is. Job was going to respect God no matter what. Scene change. Another meeting in heaven or wherever. Satan says, okay, but he's still healthy. Take away his good health and then he'll curse you to your face. So back to Job, who suddenly finds himself covered with sores. From head to foot, they really hurt, and Job is miserable. Job's wife comes by, takes one look at him, and says, you should just curse God and die. That's not a very nice thing to say to your husband. Curse God and die? No, it wasn't. It looks like the accuser is right, that we only respect God when he gives us what we want. But Job says his wife is speaking foolishly and he won't curse God. Then three friends show up who've heard about Job's terrible state. They sit quietly with him for seven days. Then they start talking. Obviously these terrible things have happened to you because you've done something terrible. Tell us what you've done. But Job says, I've been good. I've been following God. And the friends get a little cranky and say, bad things are punishment. If you want your stuff back, you need to stop being bad. And Job gets a little cranky and says, I told you I've been good. I don't know why God let these bad things happen to me. And Job's friends get even more cranky and say, not only have you done terrible things, but you are proud and won't admit it. You deserve all these terrible things. And Job gets mad and says, you are terrible friends, saying I've done terrible things. God! Why don't you defend me? It's not fair! And as they're arguing, a whirlwind shows up. What's a whirlwind? It's like a small tornado. Oh, interesting. And a voice comes out of the whirlwind. And the voice belongs to... Abraham Lincoln. What's the thing with Abraham Lincoln today? Best president we ever had. Sorry for the interruption. The voice belongs to God. Does he explain why everything bad happened? About the meetings in heaven? or wherever? No, he doesn't. He says, who's asking questions about whether I'm doing the right thing or not? Like I have no wisdom? Like I don't know about justice? I created the world. I control the seas. I rule over all of creation with wisdom that you cannot always understand. Do you know everything that's going on right now to say that I'm being unfair? (coughs) What did Job do? He put his hand over his mouth. He knew he had spoken of things he did not understand. He realized that God was just and wise and could be trusted even when bad things happened. Then God turned to the so-called friends and told them they were wrong. Terrible things happening to Job did not mean Job had done terrible things. There's more going on than we can see. And God restored Job's health and gave him more kids and more camels, sheep, oxen, and donkeys than he'd ever had before. And Job kept on trusting God and being faithful to Him even when life was hard to understand.
0: The beautiful part of that is, I love the story of Job. It says, and Satan was wandering the earth. And he comes to God. And the amazing part of that is that God says, have you seen my man Job? He was bragging with Job. So sometimes, or part of the trials that was gonna be set up is God want to show off his man Job. I do believe St. Peter's not at the gates, guys. It must be Job. He's the man. Point two. Be alert to the power of disordered, or disordered desires. All temptation is rooted in a lie. There is something or someone other than God and his will can meet my needs or satisfy my desires completely. James says each person is enticed by his or her own desire. Each of us has our unique desires and vulnerabilities and we need to know that. I repeat that. We need to know our vulnerabilities. We need to know our blind spots. Where you are weak, someone else may be strong. Where you are strong, someone else may be weak. Every single one of us have our own desires lurking within our own hearts. A trial which God allows to come our way is to bring our faith to maturity. But a temptation that is set before us is to test our heart's devotion and desires in relationship to God. And we see Job keep pulling out the little placard, even on the ash heap, I love God. Each person, he says, this is James, is tempted when they are lured by their own disordered desires. Those desires that are alive in our hearts. And we've heard this before, trust your heart, not your head. We must take responsibility for what we allow to live in our hearts. The heart of the matter, says Jeremiah 17 verse 9, is the matter of the heart. Another translation to that is, the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who knows it but God? David wrote in Psalm 51 verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That is after he went to wandering. He fell into temptation, and he praying. Pray, uh, Psalm fifty-one is, "O oh Lord, restore again to me the joy of your salvation." And then he gets to this part in verse ten, creating me a clean heart because my heart was not right with you. First Peter two eleven says, "Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, we are ambassadors, sojourners on earth, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul." Paul in Galatians 5, 16 says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want to do. We are not dashons. My dashons just want to do what they want to do. Feed them whatever you, before them, and they'll just eat and nibble away. Blame me. So we need to watch out for those desires. Point three, the four stages of temptation to sin. In this chapter, James gives a vivid description of the life cycle of sin in our lives. Now in verse 14 to 15, as we read, It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It's not just a single act, but it's a process. It doesn't just happen. So the first stage of temptation to sin is desire. The second stage is that of being dragged or drawn away. The third stage is decision, and the fourth is death. Let's look at the first stage of desire. In verse 14, he speaks about desire. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. We are solely responsible for rowing toward temptation island. We can't blame God. We can't blame the world. I can't blame my friends. I need to take responsibility for that. Now, our natural desires were given by God but it must also be governed by God. I repeat, now our natural desires were given by God, but it must be uh, given by God, but it must also be governed by God. Compare and contrast, Adam and Eve versus Joseph in Potiphar's house. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They gave in to temptation. They yielded to that. I repeat, temptation is not sin, but yielding to temptation is sin. And we need to soberly remind us that daily, healing to it. Adam and Eve did that. And we know the result, uh, the, uh, the result of that. Whereas with Joseph, he resisted and ran from temptation. Romans 5 verse 8 says For those who are living according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, which gratify the body. I need it now. I want it now. It's mine, mine to have. But those who are living according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. His will and His purpose, His timing is always perfect. If you live according to your disordered desires, you want pleasure, you go get it. If you want food, you go and get it. Just live according to whatever your body needs. No, it's not the way we do that. And so James uses these three metaphors to describe the person who is following the allurement's of Satan, and not walking according to the spirit, the hook goes out, people grab onto it, and death is inevitable. Every temptation is the exploitation of our desires. Every temptation is an exploitation of our desires. Our response and attitude will indeed determine the next phase, which is being dragged or drawn away. Now notice these two words in verse 14, they were drawn and enticed. These are two words that James uses to describe the second stage of temptation, allurement. Both terms are fishing and hunting terms. And I love Jesus when he says, just as it is prone for fish to swim, so it is for man to sin. My friend, Bob, Bob helped me with these lures, lures. Right, Frank, lures, lures, Yes, yeah, lures. So the classic part when Bob explained this to me, he says, each lure is designed for a particular fish. The devil knows our number. He knows exactly what will grab us, okay? See the fancy things that you, can you see the hooks on these things? Okay, it's probably too far from you, but even in this one, which Bob says, they call this the skirt. Now to all the boys in the house, beware of the skirt. In this skirt, there's two hooks, deadly. I said again that everything, all the desires must be governed by God, by his word, by the truth of his word. Don't cook your own soup. Get the recipe from God. That is deadly. I mean, if you think about this one, I mean, check that hook. Bob says, whatever you do, don't slide your hand down here. I mean, this is deadly. Think about that. Once that hook is in, what does the fisherman do? got that fish, and drags it away. And that's what the enemy wants to do with you and I. Why? The day we said yes to Jesus, we become his number one enemy, or he becomes our number one enemy. He is working day and night to ruin our character, our godly character, that is to represent the image, the glory, and everything that God has called us to be and live in. Our culture often preaches that we should follow our heart, as I said earlier, but that problem is that sometimes our heart tells us that the bait on the hook makes us happy. Bob used a term, it's advertising. No, appetizing. So this advertising becomes appetizing to the fish. They see the bait, they see the lure. I want that now. And the hook's waiting. We can, we, can, we can be told to choose what looks or feels good. And so we can take the bait and suffer the consequences. Maybe we don't have to deal with the consequences immediately, but the bait of temptation that drags us away will never be as good as what God has for us. Even if we have to wait for that reward, I can pause here, and I'm sure there are many of you that will come up, including myself, and tell you where we just grabbed the bait. As Proverbs 14 warns us, verse 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. The third stage of temptation that leads to sin is that of decision. Another word is conception. Is that of the desire to sin will result in shame. We don't think of it that way. Even Adam never thought of it that way. Oh, we're getting gratified. We're gonna be like God, but we didn't hear the instruction: Do not eat of that tree of good, of uh, the tree of knowledge, good and evil. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. But Lord, why did you put it here if it mustn't be touched? Martin Luther said, "You cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can't keep them from building a nest in your hair. You can't keep the devil from suggesting thoughts, but you can choose not to dwell." or act on them. Don't say, the devil made me do this. How many times have we heard this in our sports news? The devil made me do this. The devil? I'll I'll never forget that one scenario. It was around cricket. I won't mention names, but I thought, oh yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine that, hey? The devil made me do it. And that's the lie that the devil wants us to believe. We are all being formed and fashioned by our desires and decisions and habits to become more like Christ or not. Most of these decisions are daily habitual actions. We take that ultimately ultimately to grow into what we're becoming. Whatever we take on, that's what we become. Don't be deceived, says James. There's no such thing as a harmless sin. Its ultimate destination is death. That's your and my death. Stage four of temptation to sin is the most devastating of all. In verse 15 it says, then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown, give birth to death. The scene that precedes the verse for the wages of sin is death is that in the garden of Eden. After they bit, it says their eyes were opened. But what has happened? The promise came true. They lost everything. The wages of sin is death. You will reap what you sow. Praise be to God for the garden of Gethsemane. Praise be to God for Golgotha, where in this verse, the next part of that verse comes true, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Thanks be to Jesus, who comes to reconcile us back to the Father. And again, to my first point, all goodness flows from our God, and walking away from Him will never give us what we truly need, we must run from temptation toward our good God. For when our race is complete, as the song says, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but Christ in me. We'll get into heaven and we'll hear what Michael Eaton comments and he says, and we'll say, well done, good and faithful. Well, Jesus will say to us, well done and good and faithful servant. And our response will be, No, well done, good and faithful Savior. You've done it in me, through me, and it was for your glory. Let's just reflect. What trials are you facing right now? Are there any temptations you're especially susceptible to? How can you and I remain steadfast in times of trials and temptation? Clues in the word in the sentence remain john 15 verse 5 as our says there i am the vine says jesus and you are the branches if you if any man remains in me and i in him he will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing you know the old granny says sweet nothing and how can we live victorious nothing can separate us from the heart, the heart of God's love. Nothing shall height or depth, breadth, wherever we go, can run from his love. So let's run towards it rather than away from it. As I said earlier, this order desires is all based in a lie, that something else can satisfy us. And it's all about our devotion to God. Temptation is to test Our devotion to our God. Saw Job on that ash heap. Twice he pulled at the board. I love God. Guys, you don't understand. I don't understand. But I love God. He's got my good interest at heart. There's one thing you take from this this week. Walk with that. He's got my best interest on his heart. He's the lover of my soul, as Charles Wesley wrote. So there are four points as we conclude how can we remain steadfast in the times of trials and temptation? Is reside near God, resist, run, and recall the word of truth. Let me just briefly touch on these. James chapter 4, verse 7 says these words Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We'll be looking at it a bit later, but I thought I'll just highlight that here. It says here, Submit and draw near to God. Reside near God. Reside in his word. Reside with brothers and sisters in the house of faith. Reside in community. Find your place amongst the children of God. Trustworthy voices. And then second, he says, submit yourselves to God too. Then you submit. Not only do you reside there, but you submit to what he's teaching you. Submit. That means to come under his word. We come to the word and the word transforms us, and we go away transform, We come back to the word. Theological term, they call it the hermeneutical spiral. Every time we come to the word, it shapes us and we go away and we come back again to the word and he keeps shaping us and fashioning in us more to be like Christ. The second point is to resist. S- stand up immovable. It's a military term. James 4 says resist the devil and he will flee. Resist him and he will flee. Paul writes in Ephesians 6 verse 10, where he says, put on the full arm of God. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. And you put on the helmet of salvation. It's probably not gonna fit my head, but there we go. It's got a little thumbs up there, Okay. There we go, right? the helmet of salvation. I don't know what I look like, but anyway. <laughs> Let's do that. First Peter says, get up the loins of your mind. Hey. God, your thoughts. God, what's coming in. Because that's what will shape you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then it speaks of running. Keep, the reason you run is to keep your godly reputation, which is your love for a God. That's what Joseph did. Not only did he resist Mrs. Potiphar, but he ran from her. That's where the accusation came, because she had a bit of the cloth of his garment, and she imprisoned him, but he ran. It's not because of the temptation, but because of his love for God. Let's focus on the high end of this. Not the temptation, temptation as much, but on our love for God. Therefore, I will not do this. Husbands to your wives. Husbands, when you're not with your wife, You don't just get all over the place, no, you don't. It's because of your love for your wife, therefore you remain. That's what Billy Graham did. It's a devotion to her, in all matters, husbands and wives to husbands as well. Parents to their children. We can go on and on. So let's run from death and toward true life. We run towards Christ, we run into community. And I do want to say, find a confidant. We have blind spots, go and share it. Boys find boys, girls find girls. Don't mix it up. And then recall the word of truth. I want to say, recall your authoritative reference point. I get that from speaking to my Muslim neighbors. They says, the Quran is their reference point. And then I have to turn to them and say, the Bible is my reference point. This is my life. Wherewith shall a young person keep their way pure? Psalm 119 verse nine was my daily verse my mom gave me. According to your word, O God. According to your word. Always getting to the word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. David said, I have heed your word in my heart, O Lord, so that I may not depart from you. There's a proverb that says, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Jesus, when he was tempted, said, it is written. What are you and I meditating on? This time I call the band to come to the front. What are you and I meditating on? Discerning whether our hearts are leading us toward or away from God isn't always easy. It requires wisdom. Luke shared that in the week when he shared with us. If you lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom and guidance from the Holy Spirit. I want us to take a few moments to pray for that wisdom. We're going to face trials. We are gonna face temptations. And I said, temptation is to bring us to maturity. Sorry, trials are to bring us to maturity or testing of our faith. But temptation is to show up our devotion and our love for our God. To prove that, even with the story of Job, he proved that he loved God and never gave in. So take a few minutes and pray for that wisdom. Pray that the Spirit would shape your decision making and form your desires to be Christ-like. And we are a family. That's one of our values. We want to pray with you and for you today. I felt God just nudging me this morning and say, if anybody needs to be prayed for. Let's do it right now in this meeting time. We don't wanna look around, but if you're bold enough, raise your hand. We have folk that want to pray with you and they'll come and stand alongside you. We're not gonna call you to the front. So what does stepping forward in your life look like today? What's the next step you need to take to live a steadfast life and trust your faithful God, my faithful God, the good God? It's a good God over and over and over. any that need prayer right now you may raise your hand we have one lady we have two ladies and a gentleman class I'm going to ask you just to move towards the one gentleman and these two ladies Joyce with you and Migs just keep your hands up we have our team coming just to stand with you right now and pray with you this is a family moment where we just want to embolden and encourage your hearts even through prayer. We say there's power in prayer and we want to lean into that because the praise on the subject of the love of God. Maybe you're not a question I would raise even, are you willing to declare like Job and say, though he slay me, yet I will trust him? Say, Colin, I'm finding that very hard to do. The same spirit that has raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8:11 says, he has quickened our mortal bodies to serve, to be devoted to, to love our God. Else, I want to keep delighting in Him. That's what we want to say from this day forward. Lord, I want to keep delighting you, whether trials or temptations come our way. I want to keep delighting in you, because you're a good God. There's no one like our God. We can shout it from the rooftops.
1: May that we might know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of God's love. And when we face with our trials, we can look to Jesus and like that Scripture says, He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He who began a good work in us. He will be faithful to complete it.